The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Well, hello, everyone. We've had a little technical difficulty today, so I hope you're still bearing with us. But we won't. We are all set now, and we're going to go straight through and have a wonderful uh, interview with my great guest, Terry Jones Brady. And just to review what I said before, uh, Terry had an amazing story in her life. She is a wife, a mother, an educator, an actress, and a strong and deeply spiritual person. And her new book, A Mosaic Heart, is her story about love, tragedy, beauty, and the depths of the human spirit. And she's lost three major people in her life, which she's going to tell you about again. And she started doing mosaics, and that's the cover of her book, and they're, they're beautiful. So welcome back, Terry. Thank you. And, uh, sorry for the interruption, but let's talk about you, you lost two daughters born with cystic fibrosis who didn't survive. Right. And then you lost your husband, yes. correct? Yes. Those are the bare bones of my story. <laughs> right. And, and then, uh, you started talking in the first part of the interview about how you began making these mosaics. Uh-huh. And how they gave you hope. And yes. when I look at the cover here of the mosaic, what I, I can see, I can, it, it makes sense to me from the standpoint of loss. Because there's a lot of pieces and they're not always connected. Right. But somehow, you connect them into a heart. Yes, I did. And I felt that that um, restructured or reshaped heart um, made out of mosaics was a metaphor for my inner heart that had been broken and shattered so many times. And yet I was able to allow myself to be put back together, to be healed, not without Mm -hmm. scars, because the scars are always there, um, you know, deep scars. I, I, I have a good life now. I have a new life. I have a new love. I'm, I'm happy. But my sadness, my grief, my the missing of my daughters is always and forever with me. So that. <clears throat> what are some of the tools you use, Terry? Some of the tools that I used for healing. Um, well, the. The artwork that I did was therapeutic in itself, yeah. um, but I believe that what really helped me more than anything was the writing itself. Uh, now, I began journaling um, as a way to deal with the heartache and the constant stress of chronic illness and loss way back when I was expecting my second baby. Um, and I didn't set out to be a writer. I was an actress and I was a teacher and I never thought, well, I'll write a book and I'll have a book published. 
But then I discovered that writing was so helpful to me, and I discovered that I had a gift for it. Mm-hmm. And my great desire later in life, after my losses, was to use this gift as a way to perhaps yeah. help other sufferers, um, other people whose hearts have been crushed. Yeah, and to um, help them heal. Some of, yeah, some you of know, the other things you write about in your book, and I'm going to read some parts of the book today because I think this is powerful, and it's about anger. And I want to read this. Um, you write... Anger is part of the whole package of chronic illness for the patient, for the family. Now, this is you were talking about your two daughters who had a a chronic and and terminal illness. Mm -hmm. But you say, anger manifests in many ways. I'm no psychiatrist, but my reading and research have taught me that when anger goes underground, it can manifest in a variety of ways, such as depression, nightmares, insomnia, fatigue, substance abuse, excessive irritability over trifling matters and being overly polite or the ransacking of bedrooms. Yes. Explain that. Okay. One day my older daughter had been in the hospital for three weeks. In those days, um, Heather died in 1982. She was born in 69 and died when she was 12 and 82. So that was my first huge loss was when I lost her. And, of course, now that's a number of years ago because if she were living, she'd be 42. But uh, in those days, they, her physician would admit her to the hospital for what he called tune-ups, and they would normally last three weeks. And they were three weeks' worth of um, IV medication, burning, fierce antibiotic medication that would, you know, infuse into her veins. And so she, her life was on hold for three weeks. Mm. Um, and then she would come home and we'd, you know, try to make things normal again. So one day she had just been released from the hospital and she was back home after one of these three-week tune-ups, and she went to her bedroom. I mean, she tore things off her bookshelves, threw brick back on the purple carpet. She loved purple, and she had a purple carpet in her bedroom, and she said, I know I'm just going to have to go right back to the hospital. Well, her father and I said nothing. We didn't try to stop her. We didn't try to intervene. We just looked at one another. We understood her frustration and allowed the outburst to run its course. Mm -hmm. In fact, our sadness at seeing our daughter in this state of anger and frustration over what life had hurled at her was mixed with a tinge of amusement. Um, After a while, she picked everything up. Mm-hmm. And when I said, you know, all these things are part of anger going underground, such as the nightmares, the irritability, blah, 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 or the ransacking of bedrooms, we felt, and I still do, that my daughter Heather Snit was most likely as healthy as any other way that she could have demonstrated anger at what she was asked to deal with as a young child. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I meant by by the anger being a part of the whole package, and that was how she dealt with it on this particular occasion. Yeah, and to carry that further, and, and this isn't a, a great, this is not a positive thing to talk about, but I think it's positive in the way, probably the way you dealt with it, and that's the part where you actually saw um, your husband die and how you blanked it out. And what the doctor said to you is that was your protective mechanism in amnesia not to see it protect yourself. Right. That's correct. Um, you, after Five years after our second daughter died, my husband had been spiraling into a severe depression, mm-hmm. and I saw this happening, and I was helpless to help him 
just as I had been helpless to help my two children um, any more than other than just to take care of the day-to-day management of their disease, um, I was helpless to help my husband. And one day, as I said, he had spiraled into this deep depression, and it wasn't the first time. Um, in fact, he'd been hospitalized for depression before a couple of times. And each time he was de- hospitalized, I had high hopes that this would be, you know, this would be it. This would be a curative for him, and that he would come home and he would understand how to deal with depression. I mean, I was kind of living in la-la land there myself when I thought that. But um, one day, and this, as I said, was five years after our second daughter died, he was depressed and in bed most of the day, which is a symptom of depression, of course, one of the symptoms, when, you know, you sleep a lot, can't get up, have no focus, no interest in activities. And it was in the evening, and he got up, and he came into the kitchen, and he was in his underwear, and his hair was all askew because he had been in bed all day. And he looked at me, and he said, I'm hollow from my neck to my mm-hmm. knees. Mm-hmm. And it was such huge despair that I could see in him and I said to him honey please let me take you to the hospital and he said no no more hospitals no more doctors Mm -hmm. and he went back to bed well the next morning I got up and I was you know doing things I went he was asleep in the bedroom downstairs and I went upstairs and I was trying to read and trying to pray and trying to recite the 23rd Psalm which was something that had given me great succor and help when, at times in my life. And um, I heard the sound of the crack bang of a pistol, mm. and I smelled the exploded bullet. Mm. And we had a, a balcony that overlooked the living room, and I went and raced to this balcony, this railing, and looked out over the balcony, and I saw... Only from the neck down, I did not see his head. What had happened was he had put this three fifty seven magnum pistol to his ha- to his temple and pulled the trigger. So he'd shot half his head off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about guns or weapons, but apparently a three fifty seven magnum is a very powerful handgun. And mm-hmm. he really meant business when he, you know, took this, this step to end his life. But all I could see was, Patricia, from his neck down... And his T-shirt was just covered with blood, and, you know, it was horrible. And I thought, because I have a faith in God and in metaphysical matters and in angels and, you know, the the spiritual world, I thought, my first thought was this romanticized idea that some angels had pulled the curtain down over his head so I couldn't see it. And later on I had... That may have been true. Huh? That may have been true. I had uh, I talked with my therapist about this, a, a, a psychiatrist who was also a Jungian analyst, and she said what had happened is that I did see his head for a second, and then I I could not grasp it. It was too much for me to grasp. Mm-hmm. So this state of amnesia set mm-hmm. in, uh, mm-hmm. which erased the memory mm-hmm. from my head because I would not mm-hmm. have been able to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I would have gone off the deep end if I had saw, seen mm-hmm. whatever that whatever was visible in that horrible scene of of disaster and of mm. destruction of his head being half blown off. Mm. And so this was a psychological mechanism that my psyche kicked in to prevent me 
from from dealing with more horror than I could contain. So um, this is an interesting point. I don't usually like to go through gruesome details on the program. Yeah. But I think in this case, I think there's really there's validity because it shows how somehow we find every method we can to protect ourselves. And you're absolutely right, and that can be conscious methods or subconscious, unconscious mm-hmm. methods. Mm-hmm. And in that case, clearly unconscious. Yeah, um, because I would not have been able to so, doubt. You know, if I listen to this and listeners listen to this, I mean, my my question becomes: How do you go from that, everything that you've just described in the last ten minutes, to ha- to then having me hear you say? And I'm happy now. I am, I am with someone or I'm remarried, correct? Yes. And I put my life back together. And I say, I, 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 it's like I'm looking for this bridge to show me how you did that. Well, I wish there was a magic formula, Patricia, that I could just amazing put out there and say, this is how I did it. Um, but for some reason, there is no magic formula. For some reason, I was just given the capability of understanding, first of all, that my daughters were special little souls who came to me because they belonged with me for as long as they were on this earth plane and because I believe that I came to believe. I mean, I wasn't born believing these things, but through study and through through um, the tragedies that I, I incurred, I came to understand that whether we live seven years or 97 years on this earth, we come here with a mission. We come here to do something particular. And when that mission is accomplished, we're free to go. Our souls are free to go. Mm-hmm. And that may sound, you know, airy-fairy, metaphysical, whatever, but one of the things that a friend shared with me once, and I would like to share this with you and with your mm-hmm. listeners, because I just think it's a very beautiful story. Um, there's a legend, and apparently this legend comes from the mystical Jewish tradition. My own tradition is Christian, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, we all have our metaphysical and our mystical traditions. And apparently in the Jewish mystical tradition, there's a little story about why each human being has a philtrum. Um, and the philtrum, which is spelled P-H-I-L-T-R-U-M, is that little indentation between our nose and our lips. Mm. And this is just a sweet and beautiful little story. And in this, this uh, mystical tradition, it's taught that um, when we're in utero, just before we're to be born, an angel comes to visit and tells us what our mission in life is. Mm. And then the angel puts a finger um, over the lips of the little not-quite-born baby, mm-hmm. and that creates that philtrum. And mm-hmm. what it does is the baby forgets what his or her mission is until she's born and until she begins to live her life. And then some of us recognize our, our missions, some of us don't. Maybe not until after we are passed on to the, you know, to, to the other side of life, after we're deceased, do we recognize what our mission was in this mm-hmm. life. But... I think that my daughter's mission, my daughter's missions were fulfilled, and they came to do as much as they were supposed to do in this life. Mm. And you know, they suffered because they had this vile and nasty disease called cystic fibrosis, um, 
and they had that as a result of being born to me and my husband because it's a genetic disease and we both had to carry um, this trait. But after they did what they were supposed to do in this life, then they could go on. And the amazing thing is, and I, you know, I may be getting off on tangents here, but they both knew, they both recognized when it was time for them to die, and they both told me that they were ready to die. Really? I didn't hear that at the time, but in retrospect, I realized that it happened. How old were they? Um, my first daughter, Heather, was 12 when she died, and she mm. died undergoing a bronchial lavage, Mm. which is a surgical procedure that was intended to prolong her life. Um, she was um, put under general anesthesia in the operating room of the hospital, and um, she, they were the bronchial lavage was intended to clean out her lungs. They went in through her mouth. They inserted surgical instruments in through her, in through her mouth and down into her lungs through her trachea, um, but she died undergoing this procedure. Mm-hmm. And she had told me a few months before that, she had said to me, Mommy, I'm going to die soon. Mm. She said, Mommy, what do you think it's going to be like to be dead? Well, you can imagine, um, Patricia, if you're a mother or, you know, even if you're not, what it would be like to hear this. What did you say? Well, you know, I just went into, first of all, I took several deep breaths, and I realized that we were having what was a sacred conversation. And I said, well, you will be at peace. You will be with God. And you will have no more pain. You will be in a place where there is peace beyond anything we can imagine in this life. And I I don't know how I knew to tell her that. But I think that there was just something, you know, I was connected with a little spark of God that enabled me to understand that and enabled me to respond. It was a power greater than myself. Mm-hmm. I had to let myself go and my own ego go somewhere else yeah. so that God was able to infuse my being and to talk through my vocal mm-hmm. cords and my voice. Mm-hmm. Now, Terry, I, w- I want to move beyond this because for people listening, I'm sure you give a lot of talks and you're with a lot of people who come up to you and say, Carrie, I've lost my child, I've lost my spouse, I've lost my mother and father. And they come to you and they're distraught and they're forlorn. Mm-hmm. What advice do you give to them? Well, what I say, and I did use this technique very specifically many times, is to go beyond the concept of living one day at a time to living an hour at a time or a 10-minute segment at a time. And I remember doing this at times during my life. I would say, this is so horrible. My children are suffering. I am suffering, but I can hang on for another hour because I have to. Because the alternative is to spiral into deep depression. So that's one thing I did is I learned to appreciate each day that comes to me as a sacred gift and each hour that comes to me as a sacred gift. And then I began writing. That was another thing I did. I spend a lot of time in nature because I believe that nature is very healing. I have a a strong belief in higher power, God, the architect of the universe, 
whatever you choose to call him, and that this power knows more than I do and is greater than I and is in charge of things in a way that I could not possibly be. Because I think that life is much vaster than our life on this planet. Mm. Um, And I cling to that. Um, I spent a lot of time in prayer and meditation. I did not hesitate to access resources, for example, um, something as basic as I know that there's some people who don't want to use pharmaceutical relief, but when I needed it, for example, I needed a night's sleep, I did not hesitate to respond to the suggestion of a physician who might write me a prescription because that got me through times that I had no other way of getting through those times. Mm. When I needed rest, I needed just a little softening around the edges. I needed a good night's sleep. So there are a variety of tools that, you know, we can access. Some of them require us to go into Carrie, ourselves. Carrie, what do you think of support groups, grief support groups? Um, for me, support groups didn't work as well as I think they work for some people, mm-hmm. which is not to say I would would never, you know, right. suggest that somebody right. not you access. Right, you got your healing, a lot of your healing from the arts, artwork you did with the I mosaics. did from the artwork and from a one-on-one relationship with a therapist. And I did go to some support groups. Um, mm. Compassionate Friends has been wonderful. Yes, I've well, interviewed people who created or who helped with, with a group. Really? Compassionate Friends. Yeah, Compassionate yeah. Friends is wonderful. Yeah, and it, it's wonderful to get together with other people who have lost children because, mm-hmm. you know, it is, I mean, any loss is horrible, but we all expect to lose our grandparents and our parents and perhaps our spouse. But you don't expect to lose your children. That's outside of somehow outside of the normal mm-hmm. scope of things. Yes, I've, heard, I've heard that that is the, the toughest loss. Yeah. The well, there's not loss. even now, a word to describe it. I mean, if you lose your parents, you're an orphan. If you lose your husband, you're a widow. If you lose your wife, you're a widower. But there's no word to describe what you are when you lose a child because it's not in the natural scheme of yeah. things. So compassionate friends to sit there Very with other people and understand that you're not alone in this, in yeah. this world. There are other people who will hold your hand, who will right, hold Now, you. let me ask you this, and uh, we're getting to the close of the interview, but I want to ask you this because it's important, and it's about you saying other people are there. How, did, how were you able to open your heart again to a new marriage? Oh, that is a good question. Um, well, I think I was... I had done all this hard work. When I met my second husband, um, whose name is Kevin, my first husband, Tim, had been dead for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I, it was a very lonely time for me, but it was also in some ways a productive time. I was working, and so I went every day. I went out to my job, and I had, it was almost like I had these two lives. I had my home life, which was very isolative. I was very much by myself. I wasn't going out except to go to the grocery store. Mm. You know, I wasn't even going to my church. I wasn't going anywhere. I was just and, and by the way, do you think that's something people should try not to do? We should try not to be isolated during those times. <sighs> you know, or do you there's think no it was one right answer you? 
for me, being isolated was a good thing. Okay. And I did have certain touchstones. For example, I had a wonderful therapist whom I had um, been in touch with since shortly after my first daughter died. So that had been a number of years. And we had this really good relationship. Um, I don't know. And I had my work life which got me out into the community mm-hmm. and which required a lot of you know, responsibility and, and proactiveness on my mm-hmm. part. I think some degree of, of solitude is a very good thing. I think maybe in retrospect, if I had tapped into um, more group activity in terms of, of the compassionate friends along with my solitude, that might have helped me along. But... Um, I think you need both. I think you need some time by yourself, but I think you also need to realize if you're um, wallowing in despair, like my husband ultimately did, you need to understand who you can reach out to to ask for help. So mm-hmm. there's no easy answer there either. I can't mm-hmm. say stay by yourself or don't stay by yourself because mm-hmm. in my own case, I think I needed needed both. Mm-hmm. And I think because I had spent a lot of time alone, I was able to respond to that little still inner voice that we all have. You know, be still and know that I am God, it says somewhere in the Psalms, in the, in the Hebrew and Christian scripture. And I think that within each of us, if we, if we do take the time to be still and to listen, there is that little voice that will come. And when I went out to this social engagement that where I met my husband, I almost didn't go. But there was a voice that like came to me and said, you need to get off your butt and get mm-hmm. out of this house and go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it wasn't audible, but it was very um, real to me. And I said, okay, I'll go. Mm-hmm. And so I got up and I got dressed and I went to this event and met, met Kevin. And I think that my mm-hmm. heart was ready because I had done all this mm-hmm. hard work of grieving mm-hmm and of working through the grief mm-hmm. and of being alone and of praying and of going to therapy and going to support groups and um, accessing pharmaceutical help if I needed mm-hmm. so that my heart was beginning to heal to the point where I was ready to respond to this new individual who came into my life. And I had never thought it would happen. And I'm mm-hmm. so grateful. No. I think gratitude is another Another tool. That, we have, that I've heard from so many of my guests who are yeah. best-selling authors, who are psychologists and therapists, doctors, that gratitude is the key. Yep, that attitude of gratitude, they say, in, in some of the self-help support yeah. groups. Yeah. And I was grateful. For example, I'm grateful that I had my daughters, one for 12 years, one for 22. Yes, I would like to have had them for much longer, but I'm just so thankful that I had them for the time that I did. Yeah, I consider that I am the very fortunate person, very blessed, and I think the gratitude is the gratitude is a heart opener, and it's a healer. A very, very powerful and powerful interview. Um, tell us how we can get the book, and okay. are you giving lectures or talks, or how are you? Well, I am. Yes, my I have a website, and my website is www dot Terry Jones Brady and that's T E R R Y J O N E S hyphen Brady dot com. Um and that uh, on that website it tells you how where you can find my book. My book is a mosaic heart reshaping the shards of a shattered life. 
It's available on Amazon.com. It's available um, in print and also on Kindle. Mm-hmm. It's available at um, local bookstores in my area where I live um, in Virginia and in North Carolina. And um, also the local bookstores of folks who mm-hmm. don't live where I live can, you know, bookstores can order um, it. Do you support groups or do you teach workshops or um, give well, lectures? I I'm not, I don't teach, I went through um, the Virginia Institute for Spiritual Direction after mm-hmm. I lost my first husband, and I became a spiritual director, so I am certified to help others through grief um, mm-hmm. and to sit with others, um, but the best way to access me is through my website. Right now, I'm not doing any workshops, which is not to say in the future I won't. I have given um, talks to book clubs and at bookshops, um, and I've been asked to give talks to grief groups, which I plan to do in the future, mm-hmm. but um, as of right now, I don't have any scheduled. But the best way to contact me is through my website, and um, I think my phone number, um, anybody is welcome to call me. Um, my phone number, I know, is on the frontest piece of my book, The Mosaic Heart. Okay. But the best way is to reach me through my website, and I will happily respond. I've actually um, had Terry people contact me. Yes, and I've had people contact me actually internationally. Um, I don't know how much time we have left, but I found out a woman in Ireland contacted me, and I found out that in Ireland... Um, Ireland has the highest incidence of population, a population with the disease that my daughters died from, and they, their medical system is not very well equipped to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And so I have um, had people contact me from Ireland, um, as well as from all, you know, 50 states in the United States to ask me questions, and I hope I've been of help to these people. Wonderful. That's what that, my goal in life uh, so, right now so is to help people. So let's tell people to write to you, terryjonesbrady.com. Mm-hmm. That's right, terryjonesbrady.com. Okay. So just Google that in, and you can find me, and um, there's a contact form, um, and my email is there. I would happily talk to anyone who has questions, anyone whom I can help, um, and my book is available, as I said, from bookstores and through Amazon, print and Kindle, both. Okay. Well, I really, really thank you for being on the program. It was uh, well, very enlightening and very inspiring. It's been my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me, Patricia. Thank you. All right, stay on the line for a minute. All right, okay. Terry. Thank you so much, folks, for listening to this very inspirational interview with Terry Jones Brady, author of The Mosaic Heart, Reshaping the Shards of a Shattered Life. She went through the loss of three people in her life who were closest to her, her two daughters, and then, uh, then her husband. And she has put her life back together, and she's remarried, and she's happy, and her book is uh, very cathartic, very powerful and inspirational and really shows you the power of hope and resilience. So please do log on to terryjonesbrady.com. All right, folks, that wraps up the Trisha Raskin Positive Living for today. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Voice America. Bye for now.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.